0: Like, no that's fine that's fine great great so first of all, i mean I, I didn't hit record or anything yet i just want to say first of all thanks because thanks for doing this because no, no i've wanted to do this with someone for a while and and okay. i mean obviously you seem like someone who uh who has at least the information or the knowledge base to to have these type of conversations so it's pretty awesome i thought it was kind of uh thought it was kind of uh almost like a, a sign when 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 i saw your, your handle yesterday it was I gotta I gotta make a confession. I started looking at your account because I was like I was like, did somebody just take my idea and ran with it better than I did? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was it was uh I mean I've always been interested in this sort of stuff, and I was uh also somebody else who was looking to have these sorts of conversations. I just hadn't really looked out to anyone yet in order to do this, you know. I mean you can probably tell that from the fact that I was I mean I was using my little brother to get ideas to to bounce off and have my own little podcast
0: yeah so. man listen i didn't even get a chance to uh i didn't even get a chance to to really like uh listen to that one or, or watch many of your videos i did watch the uh that's fine now we have more to talk about yeah yeah this morning i did get to watch the uh the morality and metaphysics one you did yeah which is pretty interesting it 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 actually gave me some um some cool ideas but uh just give me a second here because i'm trying to figure out exactly how it is that you do record a conversation on this is like my first time using skype in like i don't know maybe six seven years
1: you go i mean i i started recording from the get-go but i'll I'll cut the the little intro part out because i don't like putting putting stuff in there when it was just uh
0: when when people don't know that you're recording yet you know to- i don't care if that goes in that goes in my uh my old podcasts are always super like raw i didn't i didn't cut anything out i was like whatever whatever i say is going up. you know like it doesn't matter good
1: good then in that case what you want to do is go to the bottom corner Mm
0: -hmm. and there
1: should be like three little uh dots you want to click on that and one of the options says uh start recording oh it doesn't say that for me it
0: doesn't that's odd Yeah, no, I don't have that option. I don't know how to. Uh, There's
1: no settings or anything on the on the bottom right
0: corner. Audio and video settings, but it doesn't um. No, it doesn't do anything. It looks like it's just trying to get me to initiate my webcam, which is broken anyway. So. Uh, well, mine's
1: just, mine's just being recorded on this end.
0: That's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, if I can get the audio from you later, that'll work.
1: Oh, I'll send it to you asap. Don't worry about that. I got it.
0: Cool. Cool. So um I don't know where do we start?
1: <laughs> well, I mean we can we can probably start with the latest thing that's that's happened which is the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I sent that to you while I was driving over. Uh so he, apparently he may have killed himself or, you know, allegedly killed himself in a cell.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's always weird to me when, when uh, something happens under these circumstances because uh, you, you already know from the get-go that the first thing people are going to do is start making uh, conspiracy theories about how a guy like this doesn't just kill himself. He has to be killed, right? And I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that he actually uh, was killed due to the fact that, I mean, obviously he has a bunch of people who are just in the highest standard of of U.S. power and even foreign powers that that just do not want to have anything to do with this guy. I mean, when you talk about guys like Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, who are just highly influential people who have enormous amounts of power, obviously they don't want to have anything to do with this. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that very powerful people have gotten to him. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge i mean there's there's so many conspiracy theories going on and we just figured out that this happened it's impossible to know what's going on
0: yeah i think you're right um i would also agree that you know given given his ties and you know if you want to be conspiratorial minded you know you can easily say of course they got him you know like yeah they don't you know if 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 everything that's alleged is true they don't you know it's easy to say. Of course, he was probably gonna talk. Maybe they were gonna get the deal cut, and and people didn't want to go down. And so, you know, if, if you believe that that the reach of of influencers ha- is is unlimited, then of course it's 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 easy to say that you know he was taken out. Yeah. It's also easy to say that maybe he's like, holy shit, I can't deal with this whirlwind coming at me. I'd rather just end it now. You know, it's 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 a tough one to say, but it is interesting nonetheless. Yeah, well, it's, very li- it's also very likely
1: that he, that he actually did kill himself. I mean, who the hell would want to live the life that this guy probably thought he was going to live? You know, once you're caught in a situation like that, the whole world wants to get at you. Everyone wants revenge. People that had nothing to do with this want revenge. I mean, you just take one look at what people are saying on Twitter. They wanted this guy's head before he was dead, you know? So, uh, so, so it's completely not outside the realm of
0: possibility that this guy did kill himself. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, on the topic of suicide, because I, I mentioned to you on my way over when I messaged you that I, I find suicide a hard thing to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I guess when when you're faced with something like say Epstein is, or let's not talk about a monster like Epstein or an alleged monster like Epstein, right? Um, but like you know, just people, you know, people who do commit suicide, the people who feel like you know whatever for whatever reason they they're, they don't want to be part of this world or what or their, or their experience anymore. I find I find that hard, from I guess from a spiritual or philosophical standpoint. I'm not a religious person, um, but so I don't believe that like you'll kill yourself and go to hell or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard to wrap my head around because we, you know, a lot of your videos are about you know questioning and and uh, you know about us how we question things and and it's what's driven us forward, mm-hmm. but. The fact that no one, I mean, unless you're you you are are really bought into whatever ideology you follow, you don't, no one really knows. Everyone believes what they, some people believe what might happen afterward. But how, how my thing is, how do people know that they're getting... A better reprieved? deal on the other side? Yeah, like, how do they know that there's going to be reprieve at the end of this? You know, like, what if it's just, boom, it starts right over? <laughs> you know, like, how does... It's interesting. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that depends on why the person commits suicide in the first place, right? I mean, someone who's uh, just incredibly depressed all the time is just suffering 24-7. And so someone like that, I mean, they're not, when you have really severe, intense chronic depression, you really don't think clearly. You know, that, that, that's something that happens when, when people are highly depressed is that they just get this, this, uh, this sort of mindset and this emotional, way of viewing up the world that just blinds you completely from from what regular people see day to day as as reality and then you have to look at other reasons why why people commit suicide you know um so so for example you can see a buddhist over uh over in the uh the other side of the of the world for example in asia those people sometimes uh commit suicide as a protest because it's the the only way really to get attention for, for political issues and for horrific things that are happening all around them that really doesn't get much media because it's really hard to get media in a in a in a place like that, especially if you're someone that nobody knows about. Uh the idea of suicide is completely weird, but it it becomes less weird the the the, the worse you look at life and the and the more you look at, at who commits suicide. Um I mean
0: it's, it's universal yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just, something was hit my mind as you were saying that, but please finish finish your thought.
1: Yeah, no, they, they, I mean suicide is a is a it's universal, and uh, it, it is weird for for the vast majority of people. But somehow, when people get depressed or when they get into a certain mindset, it becomes almost natural, which
0: is horrible to say the you least. You know. So I have to admit that um, I, I know I pretty much understand a lot of what you're saying because I, I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in mental health settings, and I've, I've helped a lot in counseling sessions. So, I mean, yeah. I've dealt with the the whole spectrum of of mental disorders, you know, and and got a really good education and just in in the settings that I've worked around this stuff. So I get it. I know a person who is suffering and wants to end it. But when you look at, for example, like, I want to pose the example you put up, the Buddhist versus, say, uh, a jihadist, you right. know, um, a jihadist thinks they're legit going to go to a better place, you know, and they think they're doing the right thing, where a Buddhist doesn't necessarily think they're going to a better place. They don't see their life, they don't see their, their, their physical form as something that's permanent anyway, and, you know, the idea of suicide to someone who maybe follows a Buddhist or Taoist philosophy probably isn't as, isn't as you know as intense to say like a christian but then a jihadist is kind of like in the middle cuz they won't kill themselves unless it's in the name of god you know what i mean right yeah i mean
1: a, a christian
0: a christian committing
1: suicide for the most part probably thinks that
0: it's a condemnation of your soul you know like
1: yeah you're going to go to hell is the is the, the main idea that you would have there a jihadist you're you're going to heaven and a Buddhist, I mean, a Buddhist, uh, at best, uh, what you get is reincarnated.
0: Right, right. At worst, you come back as a lower life form, right?
1: Or as a lower life form, right? Yeah, that. But that either works. way,
0: you're you're just returning to the earth somehow, you know? Yeah, it's it's indifference. There's a there's an indifference there, you know. Completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's I, I guess when you're when you're a guy facing what what Epstein was. Maybe this was this was the option, or maybe it was the option that was handed to him. It was like, look, you do this or we do this, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or he may have been coerced somehow. Who knows? Right. I'm not trying to spread conspiracy theories or anything, but I do want to keep
0: an open mind, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and, and at the end of the day, you know, I guess a lot of people are probably reading these headlines and going, good, you know, or or, or you know, and the victims, I'm sure. Um, yeah. anybody who's hurt by it, directly or indirectly by this, you know, is, is probably pretty relieved right now. Which is another weird one, right? Like people relieved at the at the loss of someone's life is, is another one that's a interesting thing.
1: Yeah, it's something about revenge that, that gets to people. Something about the idea of like something bad happening. It's it's like a
0: it's it's something about maybe it's Do you a thing step- that's ties to our need for balance, our need to try to like put all things in, in place and in order. Well, it could be,
1: it could be about putting uh, uh, things in in order. But it, the other problem is that it's all perception. So what what's order to someone is, is chaos to another person. So if you look at it, for example, as a as a for example, you look at a at a trial where there's a mother waiting there in court to see what sentence they're going to give to the guy that uh, killed her son, for example. And a lot of the times, you'll see especially this is in religious cases, you don't see this much in people who aren't really religious. You'll see the mother who forgives the, the guy that killed her son and hugs him and embraces him. So the the whole idea of balance, I do agree, there's like a natural perception of what, what equality is, what feels like, like the deed is done and, and, and everything is okay. But the, the, it's based really on what the person's morality is, which, whether or not people like it or not, you know, changes over time. Even if you're a Christian, your morality changes over time as you develop new experiences. And I agree. The interesting thing about morality is that it, it exists in a world of subjectivity. And a lot of people don't like admitting that because, you know, it, it completely destroys someone world, uh, someone's worldview. When you tell them that the morality that, that they hold so closely is completely just subjective, that, that there's no real way, no real objective, there's no scientific test to decide if doing one thing or another is correct, there's really no way to know. You have to balance the, the, the pros and, and cons, and that's, that's why you get guys like Nietzsche talking about the will to power because when you see the subjectivity of morality you're left in some sort of a weird uh moralistic abyss and you really don't know what to do with your behavior and that's something that you can, that, that that's something that that can happen to a lot of people in many ways i mean having an intense psychedelic trip can leave you in a state of uh of moral subjectivity right where you question like well okay i've had this moral code for a long time but I mean, how accurate is it? Because that's, I mean, that's one of the things psychedelics do. They they open you up to the possibility that everything you know could be wrong.
0: Um, that's, that's, yeah, I, I have to, because look, I, I'll i give a brief background yeah. on me. You know, I know we, we definitely said we would, you know, try to remain anonymous, but I mean, I guess giving a little bit of my life experience isn't necessarily giving too much away, but I was born and raised uh for some time in the dominican republic and then my family migrated here um so i came here when i was just about eight nine years old and my morality as a child and even into my early teens was based on i guess old catholic ideas because i was baptized a catholic even though you know i could believe, i could remember struggling with the idea of religion and the things that were being told to me in, in church and reading the bible since i was maybe five six years old i, I just didn't you know things that, things didn't make sense to me you know when i would hear the stories i'd have so many questions and i'd be like really how's that work you know and whatever but one of the big things that became a theme theme in my life from say like my my teens into my 20s was the idea of homosexuality and i always had this weird um sort of kind of like doubt about it because not doubt about my own sexuality but doubt about whether it really was right or wrong, because you heard so many things about immorality and encountering, you know, you know, homosexuals as as a child, you know, through like family, friends, and stuff, and, and wondering. I remember this this one time. It, it's kind of a funny story. I was about. I was about yeah, it was right when we came to this country, and you know, my family was poor, and we were staying with a friend of the family until we got our own place a couple months later. Um. And her son was was gay and he was a a fashion designer and lived in Florida at the time and would come back and forth to visit his mom. One time he came to visit while we were all living there and he was, uh, you know, it was the first time I I had encountered a gay person. And I had been told by my parents, like, look, he's gay. Um, Don't bring it up. Um, But I remember hearing all, all the different things about how it's immoral, it's this and that. And, you know, I was a child, and I've, and I've always been a very curious person, and when you're a child, you're probably a billion times more curious than you are as an adult. And I couldn't help myself, and I, I said something to the effect of, to the lady, I was like, hey, is it true your son is a, and, and I used a very derogatory term, I said it in Spanish, and I said it thinking, like, it was just okay, like, I guess in my head, it was just, that's just the word for it, you know? Um, and I remember seeing the pain that it caused that woman, and the silence that, like, spread through the house. Um... And then throughout the years, I've seen like you know like I think that sparked that that thought in my head like you know maybe it's not so immoral like is this is just somebody's son and when I saw him I was like what's so immoral about this guy he was like just a overweight gay designer you know like a, a, a and I was like as I grew up I always struggled back and forth with it and at some point I developed this like just as long as they stay on their side I'll stay on my side. And then as I got older and met more and more people and, and, and saw things, I was like, you know, I started to think. I was like, what's so immoral about what they're doing? Like, when when I see a man wanting to to hug and kiss another man, I was like, if I put myself in their shoes and I replace the person they want with the woman I want, it's the same goddamn feeling, you know? Like, yes, sir. Um, yeah, I, I'm. It's it's. Morality, I think you're right. Morality is based a lot on your experience and your perspective. And you know, I, I could never say that that being a homosexual is immoral now compared to when I was a kid and I had a certain like I I, I had a homophobia, you know. um So I totally agree with that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I I think. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to bring something else up, but if you have a thought, please share.
1: Yeah, no. I was gonna say that that you and me, we uh, we come from from more similar backgrounds than than actually I thought. I mean, you said you were you were born in the Dominican Republic. I was born a couple miles away from you over in uh in Cuba, which is in part why I live in the Miami area. There's a a whole lot of uh, Cubans here, and uh, I, I also left uh, uh Cuba, the whole communist manifesto area, when I decided to. Move with my parents. Not that it was my decision. I was four, for uh, political reasons in Cuba, and I was also raised not Catholic but a uh, uh, Christian, and uh, was also told basically the exact same thing about about uh, homosexuals that that you just uh, told me right now. And it did take me a while to snap out of that.
0: Yeah, That's- I mean you're
1: gonna snap out of it in Miami
0: for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well- there's, well, there's, I mean, I guess you could double down on it too,
1: but there's nowhere to go where you're not going to snap out of it here in Miami. Um, yeah, you're going to have you're going to be confronted with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, and it was a whole lot of like cognitive dissonance for me because of the fact that I would I had these ideas that were sort of implanted into my brain from years of going to church, which my mom, she's she's very religious and and we went, I mean, every single week, various times a week. It was a a very strict Uh, schedule for going to church but when you're when you're constantly being told these things and then on the other side you meet people who are gay who are just some of the nicest most awesome people you're ever going to meet right you end up realizing like okay there's something wrong here uh what i'm being told is that you know homosexuality uh means that that you've done some sort of abomination uh, it's not something that you're born with. It's something that you pick to do with some evil act. And then little by little, I started as as I started questioning uh, religion as a whole, which was very easy for me because my mother was a Christian, but my dad, you know, proudly called himself an agnostic, which means there was a lot of you know religious tension in the household which made it easier for me to sort of develop the mentality that I have now, which is one of sort of like open-mindedness and, and questioning everything that I can to the best of my ability without getting too emotionally involved. It really, it really set the pace for, for the way that I think now, I think. And, uh, and I think it, in some ways it may have done the same thing for you from the way you used that example about, uh, about gay people.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I was also thrust into a giant melting pot. We came into New York. So Mm -hmm. I I got, you know, I, you know, I have to, I just think back to like the ignorance, my ignorance as a child. Like, you know, I didn't even know the difference between a Mexican, a Bolivian and a Dominican. I thought we were all from like the same tiny island or the same kind. I didn't even know that Dominican Republic was just a small island, you know? Yeah. Yeah. when we moved out here and I start meeting Colombians and, and Puerto Ricans and all this other, like, you know, other Hispanic people. And then I meet Indian people and Punjabi and white people and black people. And I mean, obviously in the Dominican Republic, you meet black people, but you don't, it's not the same as here. When you meet a black person, you know, over there, you're, we're all Dominicans, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I guess sort of, there, there, I encountered plenty of racism. So that, let's get into racism actually, you know, it's a kind of a similar subject. Um, because in in the Dominican Republic, I always I, I didn't encounter racism, but I was always on the on the outside of it. I was on the you know I was the person, well I wasn't the person giving, I was just a child. I probably wasn't racist, but you know I would hear things about black people and all that. Um, my family is not you know my mom is like blonde hair, green eyed. My dad is, is part French, part Chinese. You know we we wow. uh, we we're, yeah we're a melting pot. You know the Caribbean is a giant melting pot. I'm sure you know there's a giant there's a yeah. good amount of Chinese people in Cuba actually. There are. Um, the I you know when you look at me I you know people even even my black friends growing up they all kind of thought they were like oh you gotta be some black and you I had there's black friends out here that say like you're, you're black you're just high yellow you know <laughs> like that's that's the way they say that's their term for like a, a light skinned black person. Um, but. I was telling the story to somebody recently that the first time I ever encountered racism for real in this country wasn't even from a white person it was from a from a Punjabi person calling me a spick um that's crazy, so that's that you know I think you're right i mean i mean my my morality was shaped by the fact that I came into here and I see into this giant melting pot after coming from a pretty you know i guess. Homogeneous environment, um, and and I came to to this giant thing with all all sorts of new colors and, and and languages and and it it just had you know I had to imagine I was like I was like how could only one group of of all these people here how could only one group be right and the rest only be lost? Yeah, you know yep.
1: it it makes no sense. I mean the idea of racism which is i mean obviously it's still alive today and i don't i don't see it going away anytime soon sadly um it's a weird situation especially here in the US especially here in the states because this country has we're very caught up on it we're very hung up on it right extremely hung up on it and extremely hung up on it in our own original ways because if you look at the nazis and the the white supremacists They have their very own particular mindset when it comes to hate, and it's fueled directly by history. It's fueled directly by how black people migrated through no fault of their own. I mean, it was a forced migration to the U.S., and then after that, you encounter the Civil War, and then after that, through the intense, horrific, cycle of violence that occurred after that towards black people you encounter the civil rights movement and here we are today when and i say this all the time i mean there's a counterculture to every culture right so you saw that in the 60s when we were all hung up on our sexual strictness and and we decided to move away from that by embracing sexual liberation which was going from one extreme to another it was don't fuck Anyone except that one person, and to to fuck everyone, and then after that check for an STD and see if it's all right. But after that, I mean, we ended up voting for Barack Obama, first black president. He, to my surprise, was able to win twice. And then after that, in my eyes, the counterculture to Barack Obama is Donald Trump, and you can see and also the next counterculture getting ready to emerge. The Which next is it, counter- this
0: weird left-wing, exactly. self capitalizing
1: I, I don't understand it, man. I, I don't understand it either. I mean, I, I understand why they hold the the views that they hold, but a lot of it is just so ridiculous
0: that it seems to be a lot more... I lob- can't even understand why they hold some of the views they hold. I mean, the left used to be, at least in my mind the more intellectually progressive group. And it seems like they're just in an intellectual bubble now. Like, they're just shutting themselves down.
1: Yeah. They're losing people like this, you know? They're losing people because it's becoming more polarized. I mean, like I said, one counterculture creates the other, but that causes, you know, one group to uphold a more extremist version of their original views which makes the other group say oh you want to be fucking crazy i can be fucking crazy too and then they uphold more extremist views of their political views and they just keep pushing each other further and further away until they're both completely incomprehensible to any person who would consider themselves just moderate but is that, i'm
0: sorry is that just because here's the thing right there's like, as, as you grow up in life, you realize there is no black and white. It's all gray. Maybe some things. Maybe some... There's very little, you know, pure white, very little pure black, but it's all shades of gray in between, right? Um, yeah. When you when these extremes create, and then there's people like, say, you and I in the middle, you know, we fall somewhere in the middle, somewhere in that gray spectrum. How come it seems that only those extremes are being heard?
1: Well, that's because the, the voices of the loudest people of the most extreme ideas scream louder than any moderate, because a moderate just doesn't seem to give as much shit as an extremist because an extremist is crazy. An extremist is someone who's willing to go to, through any uh, obstacle in order to get what they want. A moderate is someone who's, you know, at least partially sane and really just wants to cast their vote and just sit down and it's whatever. And it's always been set up that way. That's why you see guys like Bernie Sanders. They get a lot more attention. Exactly. Like the moderates, they get a whole lot more attention. That's why Donald Trump won the debates because his voice was louder than everybody else's, because he had the weirdest, you know,
0: set of ideas, you know? It's weird that he can win a debate without saying nothing, too. Yeah, it is. That's the part that really gets me. It's not, you know, the extremes and, and... I agree that you know you can't have the dark without the light. So whenever there's one thing, something has to rise up to be its counterbalance, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but there seems to be this weird, like, I guess I don't know how to put it. I guess stupefaction of of people these days, in particular in the U.S., but I mean it, it seems like it's global. But it is universal. But yeah, in the U.S., it's it's rampant. It's it's a, it's, uh, it's highlighted, I guess, in the U.S. It's very it's very you know, exaggerated, I guess, but what, I I don't get how we went from, we can have gay rights, we can have a black president, which seemed, it didn't even seem left, it just seemed moderate, you know? Yeah. To now, all of a sudden, you know, the yin is, is in a constant struggle with the yang and the, the the balance in between is just like off to the wayside and i don't understand i don't understand this weird um i don't know it, it, so i think back to um i think back to like for example when barack obama got he got elected and i was at the time working in harlem which is a super black community and harlem was like i mean it was like a three-day party it was yeah. insane, dude. It was it was super insane. I, I I I was working on election night. I left a couple hours before you know the results were in. I got home and saw that we finally had Barack Obama in power, and I came to back to work around eight a.m. the next morning, and I mean the same people that were outside you know, you know holding the the, the banners and all that were still outside cheering, and. At the time, I remember thinking, and I got a lot of fucking heat for this, especially because where I worked at the time was, was all black people. People were super excited, and I wasn't. I was kind of like, well, I mean, I'm super happy to see that there's a black dude in power because maybe this means that we're finally starting to move forward, and, I, and I'm super grateful. But I was like, but I'm not his fan. And people were mad at me. I was like, why would I be his fan? He just got there. He hasn't even started the job. He just got the job. He was, told, he was given the offer. You know yeah. what I mean? He was given the job offer and he's accepted it and in a few months we'll, you know, he's going to start the job. So I was like, why do why is everybody so happy about this guy? Like he hasn't done shit for us yet and who knows if he's going to do shit for us. And I was I mean, I they I had coworkers that had been my friends for years up until that point didn't want to talk to me for days. And I just don't understand that weird intellectual gap between people. Yeah. How do you how do you how how do you feel like? Cause I I gotta ask, man. You you live in a in an area that's not full of open-minded people. I lived in Miami myself, and Florida is not known for for you know for you know. I hate to say it, cause I know that's that's your hometown, but that it's not known for broad thinking. You know, oh, it's No, it's not not at all. So no. how did someone like you overcome this? Cause I mean, you're you must be like the oddball in your group of friends. <laughs> oh, I am. Oh, you can just
1: uh, uh, imagine the sorts of conversations I have with my family, you know, on the holidays and and whenever we meet up for a barbecue. I mean, my uncles, and and we have a a big family. I mean, my grandparents, they did a whole lot of fucking. There was no TV at the house.
0: Ten kids. Cubans, man. You you guys
1: are savages, bro. Cubans are fucking sad. They're born with Viagra. (laughs) They're framed, you know? So, I mean, I got... I got four uncles and five aunts, right? My aunts are mostly in Cuba, but all my uncles are here and we meet up and they're they're straight Republicans. You know, they voted for Donald Trump and we I mean we we get along great. We love debating this sort of stuff. Yeah, uh Cubans, there's a whole lot of Republican Cubans. Like people have this idea that uh, you know, Hispanic people are universally for the most part Democrats not true for no. cubans not no. true
0: for cubans at all
1: especially especially
0: hispanics that have strong european influence of course that you know they they kind of fall more in line with the traditional you know world yeah. view
1: yeah but there's also something unique about cuba that a lot of other countries haven't experienced and that's that's communism and the idea of communism puts fear into your heart especially in my family where a lot of us have been arrested for political reasons and for fighting back against the communist regime in Cuba. I mean, a lot of us, we, come, we came here as political refugees, you know, all of us, right? So when you see something like that and when you've been personally arrested, it, it I can understand why. You what
0: want safety, yeah. Your, your that's brain that's is wired to seek safety it. and re- republic ideals being safe because they're conservative.
1: Exactly. It seems like it's the exact opposite of communism, which is what you're running away from. It's what you were fighting and it's what you fear in your heart. Because, I mean, I've, I had an uncle who was locked up, you know, in a, in a cell for five years, you know, with rapists and murderers. With, I mean, Cubans, as we speak, don't have much food. I mean, you can imagine how much food they were giving them in a prison cell. And the way he was treated specifically for being, you know, there for political reasons. So it's a whole host of paranoia that's there. And when they hear a guy like Bernie Sanders talk about socialism, they just run the other way as hard as they can, as fast as they can. you know. And and that's just the mentality that's there. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because Cubans have really been going through this for a long time. And they're not likely to be convinced by someone like Bernie Sanders. How do you feel about Bernie? How do I feel about Bernie? There's some things I'm undecided about when it comes to Bernie. You know, I'm undecided, for example, on economics because I'm not an economist and uh, it's it's not easy for the layman to really have a good understanding of what certain policies are going to do to us. Right. So when I see Bernie talking about, you know, universal health care, which I support and public education, which I also support, I also have to ask myself at times, well, should I support it? Because of the simple fact that I don't know what it's going to do to the U.S. economy, right? And people post examples of other countries who have been able to do this and implement this and they're they're doing fine. But the problem is that economics is a weird social science, right? Because in psychology, for example, you can create an experiment and you can sort of have, you, you can set it up so that there's not other variables in the way. There's not other factors that you have to take into consideration, right? You can have a cause and effect experiment, but it's a lot harder to do that in economics because in economics, you're dealing with a whole bunch of things happening in a country at the same time. And it's basically impossible to separate all those things and just have a cause and effect experiment. It's really difficult to do that, right?
0: Right. So
1: so I don't know what would happen in this country, especially in this country, not just for the fact that, that, that I don't know what would happen economically, but also for the fact that When when you look at the U.S., there's a huge bureaucracy. There's a huge political machine that takes millions of things into consideration. It's incredibly corrupt in the amount of money that we allow politicians to take from other corporations. So when we write a bill, we don't just write a bill. We overdo the fuck out of it by a lot. We write a lot more than what was necessary. I mean, if you want an example of that, just take a look at the IRS. Look at the tax code for this country. It is extremely long. The people who are experts in it don't understand it 100%. No one does. It's a machine, and no one understands it completely. So the same way we had what was going on with Obamacare, and that's that's another thing when you look at Obamacare, for example. Talk about the
0: fact that this country is politically divided, right? i mean obamacare the way i feel about obamacare is like by the time it rolled out it wasn't really obamacare it was like you know obamacare got pushed through a machine and reworked to be something else by the time we got it you know
1: exactly and that's what i fear is going to happen with with any of the policies that bernie gets the best thing bernie can hope for if he becomes president is to end up with the house and the senate being run by democrats because because then he'll really be able to implement policies the way he wants to do it. Right. So that that's something we have to take into consideration, is that this country has a huge, huge bureaucracy. And it is, I mean, it's the largest political force in, in, in the world. I mean, you can probably argue that something like China is the largest political force in the world, but the U.S. is gigantic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... Speaking of, of – because I, I, I'm not going to lie. I can fall a little bit toward the conspiracy side at times. That's and fine. the the way I feel is that with with lobbying, like, it doesn't matter whose house it is. It doesn't matter who, who you know, who the head ape is, as Joe Rogan calls it. I don't know if you're a Joe Rogan po- uh, podcast fan or whatever, but I love that's what podcast. he said. I'm sorry? I love the podcast. Yeah, it's a great podcast. I feel like, you know, I wasn't his biggest fan always, but I, his podcast – you know, it was very, very enlightening,
1: you know, there's the, oh my God, it's what got me into psychedelics. It's, it's what, you know, opened me up to a, a whole new line of thinking. Yeah. It was, I was, I was highly influenced by that podcast,
0: especially, yeah, uh, especially yeah I would say, I would say so as my, myself as well. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. uh, when, when you look at all of that, like, do you really think that they're in control? I mean, look, I'm a person who's worked in government, um, not, not in federal government. I've worked in, in, in New York City's local government. Um, yeah. And, and I can say, you know, I used to think to myself, I was like, there's probably just a bunch of BS. They probably just have a bunch of people working jobs like ants, but somebody else is making strings. And now, but no, now I've seen the results of, of, of the work that you know, say my my organization, my my yeah, my organization put in, and how it affected policy. You know, so I've seen that, okay, no, the machine is real. The machine definitely is real. I used to think the machine wasn't real. I thought it was just like a dog and pony, you know, like a little smoke and mirror act for everybody, and mm-hmm. maybe it was the Illuminati, or just maybe it's just a business interest, you know, but I can see that it is real. The machine is definitely real. It's just that the machine is able to be tampered with by, by almost anybody. Um Well, yeah. How do you really feel? Do you think that you know, say, Bernie does get the the house, does get a a full Democratic house and support and all that? Do you really feel? Because it's always been a thing I've said. I was like, I don't give a shit who's been president, because not one of them done anything for me anyway. You know, like sometimes things were a little better, sometimes things were a little worse. Mm -hmm. But but really, at the end of the day, none of them really did anything. You know, including Barack. The best I could say about Barack is that he was. God damn it! As a as an image of a president, he he was got to me. He was the gold standard. I mean, the dude he was had an speaker. was that he was an amazing speaker. Amazing speaker, carried himself with class. Didn't really let himself get dragged into nonsense. Um, yeah, kind he was of, a
1: genius in that I, regard. Was
0: that he was a, a complete genius in that regard. Right, right, and, and for that matter, I'm like, you know, when, when you look at what a when you look at what you think a leader should be, I'm like, well, at least at least on the surface, he was definitely the gold standard, right? Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, he did a lot of shit I didn't like, and Michelle Obama did a lot of shit I didn't like. Like Michelle Obama started this whole thing about which, because I'm huge into like fitness, I'm huge into health, and I think that that's one of the things that's kind of killing this fucking country yep. is that we don't think about our health at all. Like Americans don't think about their health period. There's a there's a nice little um surge of it that's been happening over the last few years but it's even that gets kinda of tied up. When you look on like Instagram and people are talking about the fit life and all that, really they're just taking booty pictures and and, <laughs> and and you know, just want to be seen living a lifestyle but they're not really, you know they're not really thinking about their health, they're not thinking about their mental health They're not thinking about those things. They're just doing it for the for the life and for attention. And I don't know. It's when I look at what something Michelle Obama did, which was like she started this whole thing about you know about kids' health and obesity and all that, and then you look, I think it was like maybe a year in, that whole fucking talk and program died out. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I always I always think to myself like is it is it really does it really matter? What do, how do you feel about that? I mean, you seem to be a pretty philosophical guy, and you seem to be pretty well read. Do you think any of this at all matters? And I'm kind of doing this to kind of segue us more into philosophical talk.
1: Yeah, well, I think it does matter. And I, I do think that, that the machine is real. And um, the, the problem is that, that what happens with power, and I think it's always been this way, is that it's scattered. So we have this idea that there's this certain group of people in charge, right? And that the people have their voice and they can say some things and that can have some sort of an influence. And we have this idea that everything works you know, it's like cogs in a machine. You know, the president does this, the Senate does that, you know, and it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, because when you take into consideration the fact that there's over 300 million people living in this country, the power is completely scattered all over the place. Bernie Sanders is one guy. He can do whatever amount of work he's able to do in a 24 hour cycle. Right. But outside of that, he depends on a team which is going to make decisions of their own because there's always loose ends. There's always space you can work in within whatever order you're given. So when you look at a power structure, it's never as it really seems because power comes and goes. Right. And it doesn't just come and go. It's also a situation where if you tell someone to do something, you give someone an order, they're going to follow the order. Maybe. Maybe but they're going to do it their own way. And when you take into consideration the amount of money that's being poured into politicians and all these studies that come out saying that it really doesn't, it, it, when you vote for someone, the policies that are going to get enacted for the most part are going to take care of the people that are paying the politicians bills rather than, you know, the voters. Then you have to really stop and wonder, well, how much power do I have from this? And and where are my politicians getting their money from? And how does this really work? And I think Nobody has the answer to that. I don't think anyone understands the political machine that exists in this country, and nobody understands power. That's for sure. I, you know,
0: I, I'm going to give you a brief. I don't want to. I'm not going to give out too many details because I'm, I'm sure I could probably get in some sort of trouble for doing it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned that I do work. Did you know? Yeah, I still do work in city government. Um, there's this big project that was rolled out. Uh, by one of the you know heads of of city government that was supposed to be about um, a certain thing. I don't I don't want to mention it because it's 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 you know at least if if anybody in New York hears it they'll probably be able to identify what I'm talking about and I don't want to get myself in any trouble. But um, let's just say it was one of those things. It had a very altruistic purpose. Um, it had a very um, it was going to be something that was going to you know. The intent of it was to elevate, you know, the community and, and the communities it was meant to touch, and all that. But then, like you said, um, you know, the the individual who 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 signed this 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 thing put it out there and delegated it. But then that dele- within that delegation, there was such a breakdown and such a such a, a poor implementation of the idea. That now it's been, it ended up in failure and it's been re- reworked into something else that's not at all its original mission. Wow. And, you know, it's a it's a big bummer because I got to work with a lot of people who had very altruistic intentions for it and wanted it to, to succeed and were trying and were willing to take, you know, take the next years, few years, decades even to make it right Um but then that had to be balanced with, that's great and all, but the money that's being dumped into it is being completely mishandled. It's too much of a expenditure. <clears throat> and in a city with a crumbling infrastructure like New York, it couldn't be afforded, and then it just got a huge budget cut. Um, and that's a bummer because, again, it was a program that was meant to do a lot of good, and, and those of us that got to see it, and even a lot of people outside of it was like, were, were super pumped for it, but it's just you know, the people who ran it had different ideas, like you said. You know, when you get a little bit of a space within your directive, that's where things, you know... It, so that, that kind of brings me to the philosophical question. Like, is where, where do you strike the balance between being, you know, open and being a full authoritarian, you know? Because you can make the argument that if somebody had been there to be like, no, this has to be done this way and it's only going to be done this way, then maybe it would have been implemented the right way. But because it wasn't, there was a lot of this wiggle room was left, and people were allowed to do things how they wanted, and and all that, and and you know, the liberals weren't met. The whole thing that that could have been a a a, a great lift for the people of the city um, ended up not really working out. So I wonder, how, what are your thoughts on that? Like versus taking the, you know, there's only one path, or there are many. How do you how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I think it's useful. And I mean, are you asking this as a, as someone who's a politician, or as just me as an individual? Um, both, I guess. Both, I guess. Okay, well, maybe the answer is the same, right? Maybe it is. I try to keep a dual mindset, and and what I mean by that is by uh, keeping a mindset that has two perspectives, right? The first perspective is the one that's open minded, and is completely you know, willing to negotiate any possibility, any idea, and just look at what works and what doesn't, right, and try to, you know, balance things out, but always be willing to acknowledge the possibility that I'm wrong. And that's the type of mindset that I go into when I sort of, you know, make videos and, and you know, think critically about certain issues. But then, there's the, the mindset that you have to have in your own personal life, and that's the mindset of a pragmatist. You have to have the mindset of, well, what, what are my goals and what works towards them? And that one is a little bit more authoritarian, uh, but the the only way that, that you're really going to be able to function in life is if is if you have somewhat of a mindset that's going to be able to get shit done, right? And so you have to Very create... True you have to create something that seems like objectivity out of subjectivity, which is impossible, but seems possible because we do it every day, right? Like you, when you, when you decided at a certain point in your life, I'm going to work here or I'm going to, you know, have some sort of a job related to, to politics, right? You made a decision to do that, but there were literally millions of possibilities. So you, You just do what you can with that and there's really there's no answer for that i mean people can give you all sorts of ways of thinking about it and that's just one operating system versus another right that's just one programming your mind versus another form of programming your mind which you need you need an operating system right
0: well that's kind of like yeah it's like the the black and the white exists alongside with all the gray shades right so i guess that's kind of the answer it's like you're right it's kind of it's yes and no right
1: Yes, yes, and you have to balance the two because those two things are in constant war with each other. I mean every time you tell yourself you're gonna do something, there's always the subjective side that's like yeah well is this is this really the best thing to do right Not for everything, not for everything right If you're going to go to sleep, you're not like, "Oh my God, should I sleep or should I stay awake you know for three hundred days you You just know you're you're gonna sleep right That's more of a a biological thing, but it's implanted within us the idea of subjectivity, the idea of there being so many possibilities that we just have to make do with what we got, because if we didn't, we'd just go crazy. And that's, a, that's one of the things that happens with psychedelics that can drive you as close to insanity as humanly possible, not just during the trip, but after, because I, I think it was Terrence McKenna who said this, you know, that, uh, that, that what psychedelics do is not just dissolve boundaries. That they get rid of the program that's in your head. They get rid of all these presupposed notions of what's right and wrong and what's true and false. And it just opens you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. And then after that's happened, then it's your job. Because it's not just when you take the psychedelic, it's what you do afterwards, how you process the information that decides what you're going to replace that old operating system with? What's going to be your new program, your new operating system? How are you going to think after all of this is
0: over? So to, to everything you just said, I just have two things. One is a statement. One is a question. Mm-hmm. The statement is, because you, you sort of mentioned it, and I, and I should have clarified, I'm not a politician. I don't work in politics. I work I do work within city government but in a particular role in a particular department and it is not that I don't have I don't influence policy at all right. the work that my department has done has helped to influence policy but it's it's I'm not a politician so it's but I I'm grateful to have worked closely with the politics because it did give me a certain education and I think you're right in that you know it's too hard within politics to find the right answer. Um, But then now sort of to segue again, since you brought up psychedelics, I got to ask because I'm super interested in them. Have you had experiences?
1: Oh yeah, I've had various experiences. I mean, it all started off for me with, with uh, LSD, which I tested and you can, I mean, we know for a fact that there is LSD in the street. Some people will tell you that there's a lot of, uh, research chemicals and weird stuff and analogs, which there are, but there is actual LSD out there in the streets. And uh, I took, I mean, just the three biggest hits of this stuff I could find. And that was my first uh, actual serious psychedelic experience because prior to that, you know, I took a microscopic dose of mushrooms that really did nothing. And um th- this just blew my mind. I mean, for this to be my first actual serious
0: uh you went straight to the big boy
1: huh <laughs> oh my god it was it was you know it was ego shattering it destroyed me i thought i was dead you know and i had no, i didn't know that i didn't know that could happen during a trip i was very naive i was i was uh i was uh running on joe rogan podcast at the time thinking that i knew what the fuck i was doing and and that this was going to be me seeing some crazy you know, little images or whatever. I had no idea I was going to be in another dimension. If I knew that, I would have, you what know, compelled
0: What compelled you to try? Was it listening to, a, to listening to a bunch of talk on psychedelics? It was, the, it, it was a
1: lot of things. The number one thing I would say was the shock and awe of realizing that it's possible to have this sort of experience. Because my whole life, I thought that like mushrooms or whatever was just, you know, you're going to see unicorns or some, you know, some stupid shit like yeah, that. Yeah, like
0: we see in the movies
1: exactly but it's i mean it's nothing like that i mean it's portrayed as this sort of like innocent tiny minuscule hallucination but it's not the hallucination is the least of it right it's the other things that happen it's your perception of of reality that changes it's the death of your ego it's all these other weird things that that sort of change the way you're thinking that's the real influence of psychedelics you know the uh, the hallucinations that's a part of it but it's there's so much more to it as a as a central theme i would say ego death is you know the primary influencer of uh of of psych of of change you know of a of a person whose life it seems like
0: all the major psychedelics all all push people toward that i've heard that a lot the e- the, de- the dying of your ego and, yes. and desires and things like yeah. that
1: and it's an, it's, a, it's an incredibly challenging experience for a lot of people. Uh, and, and sadly, some people don't get anything out of it. You know, I've had really rough psychedelic experiences that I got nothing out of. Right. And, and that happens. That happens. And another thing I should say, because I don't want to give people the impression that it's all fun and game with psychedelics, because the truth is, I mean, psychedelics. Can- it doesn't sound fun. Well, no, it doesn't, it, it, and it shouldn't sound fun, because if you're taking it for fun and games, especially at high doses, I mean, that's just, it's just going to kick your ass and, and put you in your place, right? Because that's what these things do, right. um, and it's happened to me. I mean, I, I like I said, when I took that LSD the first time, I mean, it was just, it, I was not ready for that at all,
0: not even a little um, bit. As a person who's never had, a, well, I guess I can't say I've never had, the most I've ever done, so... The, the most I've ever done is like a really strong marijuana edible. Um, and I'm not a like a current user. I'm not like a, like a, I'm a super advocate of marijuana, but I'm not a, like a, you know, I'm not into the culture. I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not like one of those, I'm not like a, a super pothead or anything. But I do remember having a couple experiences being like, they just blasted off some weeds that were like, I was listening to one of my favorite bands, Muse, and I Swear to you, it's like almost like I could see and feel the fucking music.
1: Yeah,
0: it was insane. I was in my apartment by myself and I just started blasting the music. Cause I was like, oh, whatever, dude. Now now I'm in this like, you know, super hardcore trip that I've not I didn't expect. And 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 I remember, I'm not I'm a person that's like kind of uh, I I I'm a, I'm an extreme I can be an extreme introvert and I'm not I'm kind of shy in particular. One thing that I'm super shy about is dancing. I don't like dancing, especially in front of people. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, I didn't give a shit. I was so like into the music, and, and I didn't. I wouldn't have cared if somebody walked in the room and saw me bouncing up and down to that music and, and feeling it. And that gave me this idea that psychedelics, because you used the word that 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 reminded me of this of this of this of this experience, which is innocence. I feel like psychedelics are a return to innocence. Like when you're in a trip, you're returning to innocence, and that's why everything else, all the shit that molded you into the being that you are now kind of strips away and lets you see all those pieces of you stripped away Mm -hmm. so you can see what it is. Do you, do you agree with that?
1: Oh, I agree with that
0: completely. I mean, what can be more innocent than taking
1: away all of your cultural programming, you know, bringing you back to baseline, you know, if, if you're open to the idea that everything you know is wrong, I mean, what's more innocent than that? You know, the, 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 everything that people have done that's harmful, at least on purpose, has been because people were convinced that they needed to do something that was terrible. So there's right. there's nothing more than than not
0: having that mentality. You're right. I, I you know I'm a father and I, I've been watching my son grow up. He's only one year old, and, but I've been watching his evolution and he doesn't he doesn't give a shit about Donald Trump. He doesn't give a shit if gay people are getting married. He doesn't he doesn't care if, if there's Suffering in the world right now. To him, he's just learning. He's just growing. To him, it's sights, it's colors, it's excitement. It's all, and it's all love. Like he doesn't have hate. He doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't. You know, he's not racist. He's not a homophobe. He's just there. You know, and it's like that's. It's it is true that becoming a parent is almost a psychedelic experience. I mean, my my mindset. It, it, it's it's cliche to say this, but the moment he came out and I saw. And I saw him. It was a complete transformation. And I think that that and maybe that one extreme, like edible experience I had, are the closest I've come to a psychedelic experience. Even though I've, I've been telling myself that I'm ready for one. It's just, you know, I guess as a family man, it's a lot harder to find carve out time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I I gotta tell you, man. This to me, if. It, my feeling on psychedelics and marijuana and all these things is that maybe they should be legalized. And, and I don't think it's for everybody. Like you said, not everybody's going to have a pleasant experience. Yeah. I don't think, I, I agree with a lot of what's said. If, if you're prone to something like schizophrenia, maybe you shouldn't fuck with something that alters your brain even further.
1: Well, under no conditions should you. If you have any relative that has a schizophrenia or that has any form of psychosis, you should not be taking psychedelic period, I mean, there's a reason that in psychedelic studies that, for example, uh, MAPS does, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they've been doing studies like this, and they always exclude people that have a family history of psychosis for that particular reason, because it's not a good idea to give someone an artificial form of psychosis with a substance that's predisposed to
0: that because it could potentially awaken it, you know? Correct. I I agree, which is... I don't think there is any history of that in my family, but I, I do still. Part of me still has that fear.
1: Yeah. It's like, what if
0: this changes me in a way that I, that's unintentional? What if you know? Because my intention is to maybe go into it with the idea of releasing myself into it. Mm-hmm. But what if what if it brings me back as someone else? You know, as as something else, and that that scares me because I think fundamentally, everyone that that I know that's had a positive psychedelic experience. You know they were fundamentally different afterward if they if they really took the lessons I guess mm-hmm. but you know they were still the same person you know what I mean and I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't wanna I'm, I'm, it, it, it does scare me I'm not gonna lie yeah. um, I got a question for you man because I didn't know up until I looked at your your Twitter I had no idea what uh, and I, forgive me if I mispronounce it but solips, solipsism is that how you say it
1: yeah solipsism
0: um. Talk a, bit, a little bit about that, because I, I kind of Googled it yesterday. Um, it had some initial ideas, but um, talk a little bit about that if you can.
1: Well, there's, there's different forms of solipsism, but, but the main one is, uh, is metaphysical solipsism. That's the one that, that gets everybody uh, intrigued, right? And solipsism, metaphysical solipsism, is basically the idea that the only thing you can know for sure exists is, is you, Right. And it's not necessarily something that I'm saying is is true. But if you if you look back at the roots of something like this, at least philosophically speaking, you can start looking at guys like uh, Rene Descartes. Right. And he was a guy who coined the the very popular phrase, I think, therefore I am. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think therefore I am means I know I exist because I, I'm thinking I, I feel the experience of being alive. And now as for everything else, right, like uh, you, you have your, your, the three, uh, I mean, the five primary senses, right, like hearing and, and seeing and things like that. And you're having this experience. But for all you know, you could be having, you know, just a, a really large hallucination, right? I mean, there's no way philosophically that you can demonstrate that all of this stuff that you're seeing is real that the people around you are actual conscious beings. Now, for for people, I mean, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around something that on the surface sounds completely ridiculous if you're someone who's never really had a a psychedelic experience. Like, it's a lot easier to dismiss that if you've you've never been uh, down that road. But the truth is, at least from a logical perspective, you couldn't know. It's impossible to know, right? It's impossible to know that because your senses are something that you're, you're, you're at its mercy, right? Whatever your senses give you is the information you have. And for you, there's nothing beyond that. There's your senses and the thoughts you have and the emotions you feel and all your other cognitive and neurological processes, right? That, that's what you have. That, that's what makes up your life. And so we're sort of limited by that information. And so what we do, for example, is we try to be pragmatic. We try to look at, well, what's useful? Well, if I spend my life thinking that I'm the only thing that exists, that's probably going to be a pretty miserable uh, experience for me. So what we do is we use what's useful. And what's useful is treating everyone around you nicely and as if they are actual conscious beings, right? But from a strictly, you know, just to have a little bit of fun, philosophically speaking, there is no way you can know. I mean, it's impossible.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I. So, I'm trying to think back to the questions. I'm sorry, my phone's going off. Um, trying to think back to the questions that uh, that I had. Um, but I guess is this where the idea that we live in a simulation comes from? From from solipsism?
1: Well, not necessarily, because the idea of the simulation is is sort of implying that uh, that there's something that that created the simulation, right? And so that's something. I guess you could say that it's you. Maybe your subconscious mind created the simulation. I mean, simulation theory has all sorts of you know hypotheses about you know what exists and and, and what doesn't and who's in the simulation, who created it. So it, it could be solipsistic, I guess, in the sense that you created the simulation yourself, but otherwise if someone else created the the simulation then it's not solipsism because that would mean that something exists outside of you, right? That is uh, okay.
0: Hmm. That's okay. All right. I going to have to I'm going to have to like really tackle that one for a while. I don't know. That's an interesting one to me cuz if 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 the idea is that the only thing you can be sure exists is you, Mm-hmm. um how do you then how do you justify existing in the world you know
1: when you when you say existing in the world what do you what do you mean exactly by that
0: well, the idea is you know if 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 in soleicism you're saying that the only thing you can be sure that exists is you that is real is you uh-huh but then you're experiencing the world yeah um what does that say
1: What is that right Because that's like okay, there's something I'm looking at, there's something I'm seeing. So there I'm has to be something that I can else.
0: interact with, it affects me, I can affect it.
1: Right, right, right. I mean the idea that it's a hallucination, it's like, okay, who's in charge of the hallucination? Who's creating this, this hallucination, right? I mean there's a lot of ideas about that. It could be that it's just you but another side of you, like for example, the subconscious mind, right? That, that that's a part of you well, you're dreaming, don't know right?
0: It. In in dreaming, your brain creates a whole perceived world. Exactly. And At times it can be indiscernible from the one that, that you wake up to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It feels every bit as real while you're in the dream. When you're in a dream, very few people, unless they've trained themselves to do this or it comes naturally in very few people, they're not having the idea that they are, you know, having a dream. They're just having this experience and going with it. And in a dream, you just take, you just believe the most ridiculous shit. I mean, if you're in a dream and you're having a conversation with someone. And all of a sudden, you know, three people pop out of his belly button and start massaging you, you know, you would just say, oh, well, this is what's happening now. And you wouldn't even think twice about it. It would seem every bit as real to
0: you as this moment that we're having now. I, I, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. So kind of, you know, raise that question. Are we in a simulation? Or, and I guess you're right. Then if we are, whose simulation are we in? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, uh, just just to be clear here, I mean, I'm not a solipsist. I just I I, I want to explore the idea because I think that it's an idea that not that many people think about, and uh, I think we take for granted the reality around us, what we call reality, and uh, that's that's one of the things that's so incredible about uh, psychedelics, which I don't think anybody should really be doing necessarily, un- until we actually figure out a way to do this therapeutically and legalize it, I really don't think anyone should be going out of their own way to do it. But I'm not here to, you know, tell people what to do. I just think that's the, the wisest thing to do, which is why I haven't done it in years. To be I honest. would agree
0: with you. I would agree with you. I, as someone, I'm a super curious person, and I even went as far as trying to get, you know, procure some psilocybin in the last few years because I was like, dude, I'm going to do it. I'm going for it. But you know, the moment a little roadblock comes up, I, I gave up on it quickly because I do have that voice in the back of my head that's saying, hey, you should really, really tread lightly here.
1: Oh, you definitely should. And I mean, if you were going to take something, for example, like uh, like psilocybin, I think it's a much better idea to take something that, that won't put you at a risk to yourself or or to anyone else, because when you're undergoing something like ego death, I mean, there's people that just get butt-ass naked and strip all around the street yelling that, you know, spirits are chasing them or whatever. And uh, Yeah, I've seen
0: that. I've seen people. I know that was an issue with, like, I know certain ones. You have to have, like, a babysitter. I know a lot of people that were doing salvia were going through shit like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, the best bet for someone who is, I mean, I'm not advocating it. I, I, I just said that I don't think anyone should take it until we actually know what the right way to take this therapeutically is. Right. Although I'm not a dictator. Do what you do what you please. But if you want to take a psychedelic, I think the wisest one to take has to be by far DMT, because when you take DMT, you just sort of lie there. And whatever happens, happens. And it happens so quickly that it's, it's like you, you fucking you fart and it's over.
0: Right. It's very. I 110 percent agree. Um, from anybody that I've heard listening to talk about DMT, it does seem like the absolute safest one. And the fact that it is, you know, indigenous to our bodies that we create it, we just can't access it, you know, readily, mm. um, kind of lets you know that it's, I mean, it's, it's in, at least in, it's not toxic to your body. You know, it's not going to do anything to you other than, you know, like you say, the ego death. It is going to bring that on if you take the right dose, but it's yeah, going to bring you right back to it'll, to It'll bring it you. on. Have you experienced DMT or?
1: I I did take DMT, but I'm a pussy because I was already, you know, a little bit terrified of my other previous psychedelic experiences. So I had I had become more cautious. The first time I took that LSD, I was just, you know, balls to the wall. Whatever happens, happens. After that, I became very cautious with how I took these substances. So what I started doing was, you know, just taking less and less of it. And when I took DMT, you know, I set it up. I got everything ready. I got this uh, huge bottle that I used to make like a a little bong out of, right? Not necessarily a bong, but I put, I I got a two liter bottle. I cut the bottom off it, put styrofoam over it. I put the DMT inside of it. You know, I did a little bit of research online on how to do it. And then I used a lighter to sort of vaporize it, right? From far away, because you don't want to burn DMT. You want to vaporize it. And I just took a gigantic hit. I wanted to take Terrence McKenna's advice. You know, his advice is take the third hit because that third hit is what's gonna blast your 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 ass off into another dimension, right? But I took the first hit, I closed my eyes and I held it for a couple of seconds, and I started realizing, holy shit, I am hallucinating, and these are not, this is not like some you know fucking little spirals or whatever. This is I'm in another fucking place already, right? It was a couple seconds ago I was in my room, now I'm in another place, and so as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh shit. I was terrified because I opened my eyes and I was like, oh my God, it's there even more when I opened my eyes. Everything was morphing and just, I was, everything that was in my original sphere of vision, right? Everything that I was seeing in front of me in my day-to-day life was morphing into something else. It was like, you know, extra dimensions being teared apart or something like that. It's impossible to describe, but that's really what it felt like. And so I took another hit and I was like, okay, this is getting serious here and i was going to take the third hit but there was just no way i wanted to get more loaded than that so i didn't and it was yeah it's intense but um i i don't think i got you much out of fought the experience you would say then oh my god it's re- it's ridiculous i mean i was terrified it wasn't nothing scary happened nothing really scary happened you know i didn't go through the portal that 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 people constantly talk about all i did was just See everything morph right in front, of, in front of me, and me just entering this other place, and that was enough to remind me of the other trips I had, which were horrific for the most part, and just persuade me to stop. And I haven't, I haven't messed with any psychedelics since, not because of the terror that any, uh, not because of the terror that the DMT trip gave me, but because I, I, I learned better. I'm like, okay, well, I, I already got somewhat of a message from this, and I'm still processing a lot of things. So I think it's important for people to not just jump from psychedelic to psychedelic, but to process the information after a really rough experience?
0: You know, um, I forget who it was. I don't think it was McKenna, but maybe it was McKenna. Um, But they had, it was somebody that had famously become super hung up on, on, they were a psychedelic researcher and had become super hung up on marijuana, but ultimately said that, It shouldn't be used daily. It should be used as a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's kind of the the big message that I took away, that with any psychedelic, um, that's probably how it should be used. Because I know people that are – I I met some people that have done ayahuasca, and they, like, they go down all the time to do it. And I'm like, I don't know that you're doing it right. Mm Because you don't seem to – like, every time they come back, they're just raving about the experience, but I don't hear them really – Saying anything about themselves, I don't see them changing. You know? Yeah. So I think you're right in that that you do have to take the lesson. One thing I told I, I told somebody that didn't that never has never taken anything um, and was asking me questions about it. I, I said, look, man, when I did when I took that super strong edible and had this wild fucking day. Um, You know, I stayed home all day, but I mean, I I really, like I said, I was seeing and feeling the music and and I came out of it like I was a super happy person for that day. Mm. Uh, The big thing about it for me was that I wanted to have that again. And so I did. I went and made the same exact edible, the same exact way, and I had a second experience maybe a couple weeks later. And it was fucking awful. I mean, I was sitting... (laughs) in my apartment thinking that, you know, somebody, I, I, every two seconds I thought somebody had broken in. And then I went out to the park and I spent like two hours in the park, basically kind of, I mean, if there was a recording of me, I, I probably would have been in the mental hospital. I was like walking up and down the same path in the park. Cause every time we get to the end of the path, I'd be like, no, there's probably a fucking cop over there and turn around and leave. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I try to go out the other side and then freak out about a cop possibly being there. And at the end of the day, there was nobody out there. Nothing was out there. But the, those bad trips um, I think are super important. I think that the bad trips are the ones that are trying to tell you something and it's hard to go into them, but they're probably the ones you need.
1: Right. Right. I mean, this,
0: this for me sort of goes
1: back to the idea that I, I was talking about a while earlier that, you know, I had plenty of trips that I learned nothing from that were, that were terrifying. Right. And so, uh, I Maybe you weren't
0: ready to receive those lessons. Maybe you were still processing something from a prior lesson. Who knows?
1: Right, right. And and so, but but there's this other idea that that's very common. I mean, um, for example, Joe Rogan talks about this a lot. Not to not to you know shit on Joe Rogan. I think he he does some awesome shit. But there's this sort of idea that if you're having an awful experience, it's because there's something that you haven't really checked. That there's this something in your life that that you're running away from mentally and that there's this, you know, sort of lesson that you're scared to learn, but you need to learn. And that can be true, but I think there's also plenty of cases where it's not. I think there's a lot of times... You can just have a bad trip. I think you can just have a bad trip. And I I think that's clear because of the way, you know, the human brain works. I mean, if you give anyone, you know... Uh, uh, epinephrine, for example, artificial adrenaline—they will be fucking nervous, and it's because you've altered their biochemistry. I mean, it could be someone—it could be the most perfectly, you know, healthy mentally and physically person, and this person can just feel awful and nervous and in fear due to the to the way you you know changed this person's biochemistry. Right, and I think that that happens too for for psychedelics. And I think that uh, something that happens in in, a, in the psychedelic community a lot is people who go uh, to the spiritual route, especially they look at it as a more of a spiritual and psychological thing, and they forget the the fact that it's it is still a drug, right? It is still a chemical that's interacting with the other chemicals in your body, right? And so that that causes changes sporadically. That you may not expect, and it, it it at times there's something to learn from it, and at times I think it's just you're having a fucked up experience and it sucks, and that's how I felt oftentimes because I've I mean I've taken it in situations where there was really not much that I could really complain about it in, in my life. I mean my life was perfectly fine at least in most regards, and and what I was freaking out about I noticed a lot of the time had nothing to do with my problems in life, right? It was just a fear of irrational things and that would happen to me especially when I would smoke weed right and I know that happens to a lot of other people I mean you you talked about how you had this wonderful experience one time but then the other time you had a horrific experience you had you had a, a bad experience literally right? felt like a fucking rat in a cage man like I was driving out of the cage <laughs> absolutely I, I mean I've been there it's, it's terrible especially I mean that when you go the edible route edibles can just put you in this fucking dungeon
0: yeah,
1: of yeah, torture. I mean, it's it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> um, just to, cause, uh 'cause because my my time is running out here, I I got to ask a few questions, man. Like, so you know, without without giving too much away, how do how do you know so much about this stuff? Is it stuff that is it just stuff that you're self studying? Like, like what do you do, man? Like, or, you know. Well, I mean, the
1: the way I got into this was through a coincidence i mean i was always a, a a bit of a internet nerd so i was always looking for little bits of knowledge uh information right at first it started because of the whole religious paradigm in my family right that my dad was agnostic my mother was a christian so i started looking up uh you know ways of questioning religion and i became i i jumped out of christianity because i found a video on george carlin that was called ah, Religion is Bullshit. My
0: all-time favorite comedian.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I found a George Carlin video, and I was very young, and I, it was about religion. It was called Religion is Bullshit. It was like a 10-minute video, and after that, I walked away from that video, and I said, I'm never going back to a fucking church again after that <laughs> video. And, and so at, from that point on, I just realized that I could use the Internet to, to learn stuff and to make myself a better person, and so I did. And eventually I stumbled upon, you know, Joe Rogan and the psychedelic experience and then from there I just went on to other things after L S D to, to other things, uh like for example like philosophy, Frederick Nietzsche, you know, th- things like that.
0: You sound like a young guy. I don't you know, maybe twenties, twenties I'm, I'm twenty Am I am I guessing right? No, I'm twenty four. Oh yeah, so you're yeah, that's what I figured. You sound like yeah, yeah. Like a guy. Um I'm not that I'm an old man. I'm only I'm, only, I'm in my late 30s. Mm-hmm. But um you sound like a young guy and it's I wonder do you feel like the you know the whole psychedelic and drugs thing has become more and more popular nowadays, but do you feel like because you, you even mentioned that, you know, within your family, you're sort of the the oddball out. Within your f- group of friends, you're probably the oddball out. Um, do you feel like we're in the middle of some sort of awakening as a as a as a group of 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 individ- of people, as as I guess as a species, as humanity? Um, or do you think there's just some of us that are out trying to find the fringes?
1: Well, I I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, there's definitely people out there who are just looking for answers. And I think a lot of the answers, we don't have them. And so we either got to make one up, which is what a lot of people do, which is what I think religion does for the most part. And uh, there's a lot of other people who just settle for, you know, what they perceive to be a lack of knowledge, right? Like like me, like I don't know the answers to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a large questions that we've been asking ourselves for thousands of years, but I think I can somewhat live with that, and uh, I've created a, a, a way of sort of thinking about these things critically, and that's what I try to do is just think and give people a, a different perspective other than their own. I don't hope to be right. I hope to make people think differently about, you know, certain issues that they may or may not have already been curious about.
0: Your, your, your name on YouTube is The Modern Aid. Why did you choose that name?
1: Well, it was definitely inspired by, by Terrence McKenna. Definitely inspired by the stoned ape theory. And the fact that humans, I mean, if, if you look deeply into a biology class, I mean, we, we are apes. Right. We are apes. So I mean, I look at my son and I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, he's a little ape. He behaves like a tiny gorilla. We all are. We all are. And we have to embrace that. I mean, we're biological beings. We're here floating on on planet Earth, and we got to make the best of it. And I, I think we're doing pretty well for a species that was walking around the Sahara
0: Desert for thousands of years. Or well, wherever we were, right? Actually, I, I wanted to bring back something that you mentioned earlier because I did want to po- you know pose it to you. You may have heard of it. Been, you know, being a George O. Rogan fan, you might have seen this recent episode of his with, uh, with that guy. Uh, Hotep Jesus, the YouTuber.
1: I, I I know who he is. I saw some parts of it, but I didn't see the whole thing.
0: So he he brought something that I had thought about when I was younger and never really gave it much thought. Um. But there's this thing, right? Like where we assume that Africans were brought here, but the truth is that I think they were here way before. And the the the, the mm. you know he brought up some interesting things that are kind of evidence to it, like the fact that it's been discovered that Egyptians had boats you know yes. for a long fucking time so what why why would we assume that they didn't come here first why yeah. would we assume? you know why would we assume that you know people didn't make it over the Bering strait those um those giant stone faces that they find all over i think they find them in mexico and like central and south america where they look african yeah uh, well you know I mean, you you I, have, it, to have it brings me to say just to say that i think one of the biggest things, because we we talk a lot of you know we talk a lot about like biblical scholars or and, and stuff like that, but I think when you say the answers we don't have the answers, I think it's more like the answers are already there; we haven't rediscovered them. Mm. I, I'm a firm believer that if if we were to, cause if we were to like really unlock our history, not not the one we understand now, not the one that we're we're fed in school. But really unlock our history, you know. If archaeology can really start unearthing the true the true things that happened, we may come to find that we we already had the answers. Maybe we're just disconnected from them. What are your thoughts on that idea?
1: Well, I mean, I, I would say as far as having the answers, it depends on the question, right? Uh, we have some answers, right? Uh, but. You know, there's a lot of things we don't have have the answers to. But it answers into like, I mean, bigger bigger questions like like who
0: we are, why are we here, what, what are we doing? Why, okay, why what are our, here? What is the purpose of our species? Things like that, you know. That think there mean, even a purpose.
1: Well, when we all right, well let's let's start that off by talking about our our history, right? So in terms of history, there's a there's a whole lot of talk uh especially around guys like uh Graham Hancock which i, I assume you know who he is based on yeah. on the sort of uh, on what you've been telling me so far um I, I find his ideas interesting right i'm skeptical of of everything i'm skeptical of of the traditional history that we've been told and i'm also skeptical of of some of graham hancock's ideas the idea that uh uh africans made it to the americas before uh you know other people did uh, I'm sure it's quite possible, especially if they had boats, which, I, as far as you just told me, there is evidence that Egyptians had boats, right? Uh, so, And it was a, a really prolific... Oh, system. yeah, the Sumerians had boats. Exactly, right? And so but when you think about the Egyptians, I mean, that was just an amazing but that, civilization. You
0: know, the, the European history that we're taught is like they created boats. No one had boats before them.
1: Yeah, well, it's a bit... It, the problem is our educational system was created by Europeans, right? Exactly. So, So it's definitely biased towards a particular worldview. It doesn't really encompass all of history. It encompasses a certain version of history being told by a certain, you know, civilization. So it's really limited in that regard. I would like to see a much broader branch of history being told, and I would also like to see more open-mindedness in scholars and, and just a willingness to accept new evidence you know, and a willingness to be wrong, quite frankly, because in inside some of these circles, it just seems like people are not willing to give an inch in order to change their their previous ideas because of fear that it's wrong because some of these people have built their entire reputations and careers
0: right they, that's a very recurring theme in these conversations, especially you know, among archaeologists,
1: yeah, and yeah.
0: Egyptologists yeah. in particular they don't they don't want to admit that,
1: Exa- that Egyptologists. Like, I mean, there's not a single hieroglyphic in the Great Pyramids of Egypt, right? And yet uh, a single, you know, uh, a single note found an inscription inside of uh, an area near the pyramids, or maybe inside the pyramids themselves, that says something about who created it. That's taken as evidence. That could have been left there, I mean, by anyone. And so the history is... As a science, I mean, it's a social science. It's not as objective as chemistry or physics, right? So we have to take what we got and work with it. But if we start making too many assumptions, then our ideas can become scattered all over the place. And if we use those assumptions in order to become closed-minded, then we're really fucked. I
0: agree with that. But would you say that maybe it's kind of... It's a safe assumption to say that the Egyptians built the pyramids, being that not just that they're there in Egypt, but why would they say we built it? If they built it, well, you know, like, I, 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 I don't, you know, if I were to build a house today, I wouldn't write on it built by me, <laughs> you know?
1: Right. I, uh, I'm i not really questioning whether or not the Egyptians built it. My idea is when it was built, because the whole idea... Well,
0: 100%. Was... It's definitely built way before they said it was
1: so, it, so the idea, the main idea of, of Egyptian history is that they were a civilization that started about 5,000 years ago, right? And then before that, we wandered the, the Sahara Desert or Europe or wherever, just, you know, shitting all over ourselves and hunting for, you know, over, well over 100,000 years, right? And uh, I, I think we have to really try to see if there's something more than that, right? This idea that out of nothing, you know, sort of civilization started 5,000 years ago, uh I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm. I mean, it could be, but
0: I don't. I'm a don't big know. fan of. I'm a big fan of of the whole idea that cataclysms has just been resetting humanity for for millions of years. Right. I really am, because it's it's the only thing that seems to make sense.
1: Well, I mean, what they've what what some people are proposing is the idea that there was a cataclysm somewhere about I don't know twelve thousand five hundred years ago, more or less. And that that was really when we fell down as a civilization, right? Which which could be possible, right? Uh, the idea that before that we were much more advanced, and that it's impossible to know how much more advanced, at least with the you know the current information that we have, but that perhaps we're not getting the whole story. And so I think it's important to keep an open mind, but also be very wary of, of a lot of bullshit that's that's in the midst, right? Because wherever there's an opportunity to rewrite history, there's always going to be, you know, people that are that are full of shit. And so we just, I, I try really to keep an open mind, but it's very difficult, especially when I consider the fact that I'm just some ape on YouTube who doesn't really have any sort of a degree in history or, you know, I'm not an Egyptologist. I haven't really been, you know, uh, you know, taken in by the are dog. You studying? Are you Are
0: you in school or, or what?
1: Well, I have an associate degree in psychology. I'm wondering whether I'm going to go back to decide to be a, a computer programmer or whether I'm actually going to stick with psychology or maybe even go into psychiatry. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, all paths are, are pretty cool. Um it just, you know, I, I gotta admit I'm pretty struck by by how, you know, you don't meet a lot of people your age that that have your you know, your level of thinking and, and you're you're obviously not just a pseudo intellectual, you're well on your way to becoming a real intellectual. So kudos to you, man. And you know, I could see why, you know, the name the name Modern Ape is very fitting for you and I, I, I gotta give you a lot of credit there, man. I very much appreciate the time and the conversation. Um Thank you. I, the reason I call myself the Stone Date is because of that whole Stone Date theory. You know, I, I do see myself the same way in a lot of ways where it's, um, I, I, I'm literally just tapping the surface. Like, my mind is just now starting to, to, to make these connections for real. And the reason I wanted to do, you know, a podcast in this form is because I, I, you know, even even having exchanges with people, say on Twitter or forums or whatever, it's not the same as having a, a, a conversation with a, with an individual. And I'm pretty lucky that my first one with, was was with you. And I'm uh, I hope there's going to be a few more, you know, many more to come. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. This is this no, is thank awesome. you. I'm sorry I got to cut it so brief. Oh, but no, I it's fine.
1: I'm, I'm glad we did this. I think you're doing something awesome and I'm really glad you reached out to me. I hope you get to talk to a lot of you know other people and I hope they're incredibly interesting because uh,
0: this this was great. I had a great time. So thanks. No, oh, thank you, man. And listen, um, whenever you can, just send me that audio. I'm going to be working on China. You know, this will probably be my first Mm-hmm. Real foray into YouTube, or maybe I'll just let you post it and I'll I'll, I'll repost yours or something because I I am not I gotta admit I've tried doing the whole video editing thing I don't have the time for it I'm not super skilled with it.
1: Well, I'll, I will gonna tell you put it I up
0: mean. with a static image.
1: I'll, I'll send it to you today, and uh, I'm gonna edit the video. I am gonna edit the video and and you know put some images or some some audio or something like that. I mean not some audio, some uh, some images, some videos, things like that. So I'll send you the the audio. And uh if you want once I upload the original video I'll send you a copy of of the video that that I, you know,
0: edited so that you can put that on your on your channel as well. Yeah, thank you man. Thank you. Um we'll be in touch bro. I, I'm sure I'm sure this is not going to be the last conversation we have. Thank you. Ari. No, thank you. All right man. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Okay.